Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Into the Spotlight. I'm Morley. And I'm Ryan. And so today's episode is one that's all about thinking bigger. If some of you know, Morley's, one of Morley's recent videos is about Think Bigger. And a lot of that is what inspired the themes for this episode about uh, how, where we examine how we adapt to changes in circumstances relating to our creativity, our expectations for our projects, how we plan to achieve our creative goals and new projects that we have set on the horizon. And more importantly, just like having a sense of perspective on where we want our creative journeys to take us and all the excitement that's in store. So Morley, good to see you. Start yeah, to the new too. year. Been a long time, man. Um, it has. Yeah, like I've just, I was so inspired by that video about Think Bigger, where you create that wonderful sign. And kind of like I touched on, kind of like messaged you about, so like how you take like a great narration that comes from the heart mixed with some awesome footage and a very good choice of music. And you, you created a video that was so um, inspiring and touching to me personally, because I've been in that mindset. And that's really why we're having this episode is to really talk to discuss in more in depth about our creative perspectives of where we are in this moment of time and how we want that to guide us for the year ahead and all the creative ambitions that we have set on the horizon. So maybe you could just tell me a little bit more about like how, what was the um, inspiration behind the think bigger video? Um, what were some of the themes that led into it? Yeah. It's funny. It's hard to, remember the train of events that led to this video and i feel like i might need to like start journaling about the process of a project coming to be because it's like i'm thinking like did the did the saying think bigger come to mind first or did i want to just make a sign for my workshop mm -hmm. it's hard to remember i should write this stuff down but <laughs> anyways like you know i think going into 2022 i felt like i had been here before and what I mean by that is in 2020, I had left my engineering job and was spending the majority of my time working on my own creative pursuits. And then I kind of went back to working for other people, found that I didn't have enough time and that I really wanted to focus on my own creative pursuits. Mm -hmm. And now here we are again, you know, I cut down to one day a week at the Steam project. Um, and I think a question that came up between Eden and I, and just in my own introspection is well what's different now like how is right now different from a year ago mm -hmm. and i feel well for one i just feel like i've i've grown and developed and improved a lot since then so i just feel more equipped to do this um you know i'm approaching 25 years old so my prefrontal cortex is almost done developing and you know can actually analyze risk, make rational decisions, all those wonderful things that happen when you turn 25. So I got that going for me. As someone who's um, 25, I can tell you that it's it's a great place to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Um, and I just feel like I have a bit of a clear vision as to what I want to do. You know, I have these ideas for larger projects and kind of a, a clear vision of the type of work that I want to spend my time doing and grow into and, and build a legacy. I've realized that I really have a love for making videos, um, not just making things, but really making the videos. Um, I want to do more larger projects. I started working on a public art project that I hope to get off the ground this year. Um, 
It's a great idea, by the way. I'm excited to see that come to Thank fruition. You. I, didn't, I didn't remember if I told you about that, but I'm glad you, that I did. <laughs> you did. You did. At the end of the last episode, in the little scrum that we had, you told me. Oh, cool, cool, cool. I'm excited. And once I'm back, I'm more than happy to devote a lot of time to helping you get that off the ground. Nice. Well, I think there might be... I need to figure out how to film parts of it because it's going to span a period of time and might need some help filming all the different ones. I'll be your documentarian. Okay, sweet. Free of charge. <laughs> Um, and yeah, like a lot of it, I think came down to thinking bigger. And and as I was thinking about this year, I think that was a phrase that became very important to me and I wanted to kind of immortalize it and make sure that I'm always thinking about it. And so decided to make this sign and try out a new, uh, you know, technique in sign making, which I had never tried before. And a lot of times is the motivation behind a project is wanting to learn a new technique or tool, um, and then I, I knew pretty early on that I didn't want this to just be like a build video. There was there was something kind of deeper behind it that I wanted to talk about. And I, I messaged you earlier this week that I had started watching Van Neistat's videos and mm-hmm. I actually didn't start watching them until after I made this video. But I feel like I relate a lot to his style in this and we can talk about that more later. Um, and right before Eden and I got the puppy, we stayed at an Airbnb on Georgian Bay. Uh, which is on Lake Huron, a very beautiful location, kind of cabin in the woods with a nice wood stove. And I was working on the project and I was sitting in front of the wood stove and I was like, okay, this I feel like I'm in the perfect mindset to write what I want to say in this video. And the prompt that I gave myself is basically like how I'm going to make my dreams a reality. And it all kind of culminated in thinking bigger, but I wanted to really like be thorough about it. Like, yes, think bigger, but like, what are all the other things that I'm going to do that are going to allow me to achieve my goals? Like making collaborations happen, not just waiting for them, exercising every day, like eating good food because it makes me feel really good and like gives me energy. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of clothes that I wear that I hate and I need to get rid of those. So I'm that was dressing really the way that I want to and looking, <laughs> and it's important to me. Like I, yeah. I notice that I feel a lot better if I, if I'm wearing what I like. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just started writing stream of consciousness, like what are all the things that I feel like are going to get me to the places that I want to be? Um, and that was basically the script for the video. I, I, when I got home, I transposed that onto the computer, moved some stuff around, added a few things, recorded it. It conveniently ended up being about the length of a song. So I found after about two hours of searching, I found a good song that fit it, um, which is, kind of a tear your hair out type process when you don't know exactly the music that you want and you're just searching, 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 listening, listening, but it's fulfilling in the end. It is. It's like the most important part of any like video, right? Because that really sets the tone for it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a long process, especially when you find something, but it's like behind copyright, but you want something kind of similar to that. So it's, it's a big search process, but, but you definitely found the right one because the video is fantastic. It's great. I think Thank anyone, you. any creator of any type, I think will relate to it very heavily. I know I did. And like it, cause I've been feeling a lot of that similar, similarly as well, especially going back to last year and well, even, even going even further back. Cause for me, like I took a different track than you did because we did the documentary together. You're great in it, got the master's degree from it. And then I, after I graduated, I went right into working and you know, like I, I still had all this creative ambition, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do with it or how I wanted to channel it. 
or how I, how I would even achieve any ideas that I had. You know, you'd be sitting on the bus and you're going by all these streets, all these people, and like sometimes you get an idea for a good story, but then it's like, well, what, what's it going to be? How am I going to pursue it? Am I going to write it? But if I want to make it into a short film, how would I do that? Do I need to be in a more creative job to do this? Like I was really very stuck like that for a long time, not really sure, not really sure if like how just where to go. And mm-hmm. over the course, then the pandemic began, and you know I was alone for the first few months, and then then I moved back home, and I've been thinking a lot more, and then I started just um, learning from others, following other creators, you know, reaching out. Um, we started this podcast and this has been such a <laughs> enlightening experience for me because I feel like just doing this has helped me grow so much, you know, learning from you and some of the guests that we've had. Mm-hmm. And now since I've started my writing and publishing my writing, and I was like, and I'll touch on that more, but that was such a big thing for me to just get over was to, you know, put myself out there as a creator and feel comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And seeing some of the reaping the fruits from your hard work, seeing like, oh, people actually relate to what I'm writing or what I'm saying. And like, y'all, you're not alone in this. And that for me, like, I know it sounds silly, but for me, it took a long time to kind of get over that challenge. And now, since I've been like, you know, I've been watching a lot from like, or re- listening to podcasts and reading books from like, of like, you know, how people make films and do other different types of creative work. For me, that's helped me realize how I want to pursue my own creative goals going forward. And doing that with like either with like the writing, like poetry, nonfiction writing, short stories, short films, even short documentaries that I want to do. And it really comes to me, at least embracing myself as a multi multi-dimensional creator and not pigeonholding myself into just one little track that I need to follow. Like like because like even though writing was something I was always my one of my greatest assets, I never really considered myself as a writer up until recently. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh wait, maybe like like I thought I'm I'm, I'm kind of good at this. Maybe maybe okay, put some of this out there. We'll see what happens. Like I'm writing the next uh, um, nonfiction essay that I'm going to publish shortly, and you know, it's just kind of like getting over this mental block that, well, like uh, like well, who cares about what you're doing? Because writing so deeply personal like that, right? I mean, all creative work is, but when you're writing, you feel like, well, who's gonna who's gonna like this? But when you put it out there. You see the you see the the reception how people read it even after after a couple of months afterward and it's very encouraging and it just want makes you continue so mm-hmm. yeah like similarly something I've been not struggling with but just thinking about recently is how artist is kind of like a loaded term at mm-hmm. least it seems that way in like the maker community and and just in modern times in. And what I mean by that is people seem reluctant to call themselves artists. And I kind of like was thinking this year, like, I, no, like, I feel like I should call myself an artist because a lot of the things that I want to do, like are making art and that doesn't need to be a loaded term or something that I need to feel like I've achieved something to be able to do that. Like, no, if, if, if what I want to make is art, then that's, that's what I am. I'm an artist making art. Yeah. Like it's like it's not some it's not a status or a, a an achievement per se. I mean, it, I mean, obviously there are things like that that come with it, but it's just really if you're doing it, then you're an artist. If you're a storyteller, you don't need to be published or anything like that. If you just write stories, then you're a storyteller. You know, mm-hmm. like I guess like it's like a mental sort of gatekeeping that that people kind of do to each other and to ourselves. But you know, it's 
like you know creativity doesn't always have to be like a job or always productive it's just you know it's a state of you know mind it's an identity it's something that you know that you do that you find pleasure and enjoyment from yeah definitely i don't think it needs to be that sort of term by any means and it's curious that i always wonder when people are reticent towards calling themselves an artist like why that is like mm. i'm wondering like is it is it because you don't feel qualified to or is it because you're uncomfortable with the things you're doing that's something i've also been thinking about recently is like there are certain aspects of what i do that i am like not fully comfortable with like so much of my work ends up being social media focused and there's a lot of aspects of social media that i find gross and <laughs> and so reconciling those things in my head has been like a, a bit of an interesting process mm-hmm. it's weird yeah because like it at least when it comes to creative work, like it can feel like shameless self-promotion at times in a way, but, right. but it's not though. It's, it's really not because you're just sharing with like stuff that you, that you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, like, like there are like a million or millions of bad examples of like people just pushing it just, just as for more of themselves, but not their work. And, you know, if, if it's all about the work, then there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, it's funny how, how sometimes like, we kind of put these like sort of mental chains around ourselves, even though like, why not just be artists, you know, you know, even though you can be artists in very different ways, doesn't mean it's not something you can, that you can't celebrate and just, you know, be happily identified as. Cause I kind of avoided that for a long time, but it's like, well, no, if, if I write and I do this and I do that, well then like, well, I guess I, I guess that's what I am. So, yeah. And, and that's a good thing. Actually, we were also discussing before we were recording, uh, WTF with Mark Marin and I remember in the interview he did with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. Brad Pitt was like very reluctant to calling himself an artist he was like no I'm an actor I like I act and that's just like a craft and I think for him like artist meant you know like paintings and those sort of things which right. I guess I can understand because I can see how actors you know actors whether or not you call an actor an artist, actors are surrounded by artists on a film set. They're surrounded yep. by scenic painters and directors and writers and many people who we'd probably feel more comfortable calling artists. But it's funny that like he was very, you know, someone so accomplished was like, oh, I don't know if I would say I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny. I mean, especially someone who was like at the top of his craft, right? It's, it's even more ironic, but I guess it just, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I mean, especially actors, especially with the way they interrelate, you know, having to work with a director and like, you know, figuring out the script and bringing that script to life. It's it's an interesting process that it's molded by several um, different types of individuals to get an amazing result. But yeah, that's a conversation for a whole other day. <laughs> but yeah, um, but I was just but that's just something like, yeah, like just to kind of go back to the point, just like. I just feel like so much more comfortable now just embracing all of the aspects of my creativity that I want to do. Cause even mm-hmm. though like I haven't been able to make films because of the pandemic and that's the other thing too, is just like the world's in a very chaotic state right now. Cause right. like I'm still trying to figure out cause like the films, like I want the films and documentaries that I want to make that requires collaboration with others. I can't do this on my own. And even like, even though there's a lot that I can do, like it's just the world's in a very chaotic time right now. And it's just, like you know when omicron hit like you know i was gonna set up like a location a location in my town nice museum with a nice view of like the bay and everything to shoot like kind of like do the sit-down interview then like new restrictions came in and you know it's hard to overcome things that you're not in control of right so Mm -hmm. so like i just but like at the same time having that time to really focus on like 
okay, I've written out this story or like I have an idea for this documentary. How am I going to do it? And I finally feel like I figured that out. Like, yeah, I was just going over through my list last night of outlines for short films that I want to do once I'm back in the city. And like, I understand, I know how to pursue each of these now once I'm back and when things become more normal, so to speak. So how do you like stay comfortable in the planning phase for so long? Because I feel like I would start to go a little crazy if like you can't actually start doing all these things that you've been planning for so long. It's true, but it's been good. And because like, especially, and it kind of comes back to the writing part. And because I've developed my writing style much more, like even in my job, like, you know, even though it's like a different type of writing, that scrutiny and trying writing for different formats and different platforms and different subject matter has helped me really mold my writing style to be much more dynamic. I'm less precious about it. And mm. I think that's a really key point. Whereas you start something and you think you have to stick to what you started, but whoops, hit my microphone. <laughs> you think you might have to stick to what you've started, but it's like, no, you can start from scratch and you can take that idea, that essence of the idea that you had and do it in a much better way or in a more right. dynamic way than you did before. So sometimes like, I, yeah, I start scratch from some of them. There are some stories that I've combined. There are some that I've really just like went back to went back to square one, but it was the right choice. Because even though, yes, I thought that was a good idea, like about two years ago, like I can't, it's not good with the way I wrote it now, now with what I know. So a lot of it's just coming back and just rewriting and presenting it a different way. And not only that, but like I've been like learning a lot, listening to a lot of podcasts about filmmakers, people who do different things, watch different YouTube channels. And I'll touch on that for my Into the Spotlight. But seeing how I can, as an individual, do these stories now. Because before, like, if you need something like a big budget and like a big location, like, you can't do that. But if you know how to do it from a very grounded point of view with no budget and know how to work with, like, a limited number of people, like, I understand, like, like I mentioned, like, creativity is not just about being productive, but it's a mindset. It's really about knowing how you're going to approach your projects. So even if I were given the opportunity to do those projects back then, I don't think they would have turned out well. But now mm -hmm. I feel like I know how to tackle them and do them in the best way that I can. So I think this is an interesting segue to something I haven't told you yet, but um, nope. it, it, don't worry. It's, it's, not, it's nothing bad. So a few weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, time is very weird right now. I think you retweeted Jim Cummings on Twitter and he said... My biggest failure as a filmmaker happened in 2009. I wrote a beautiful script that made for quite a boring movie. Ever since, we refer to this failure as assuming audience interest. Hmm. We never expect interest anymore and instead work hard on the craftsmanship to try to earn it, which I thought was like very in interesting and inspirational um, because exactly what you were just saying, you know, you can work on your own story and think it's really great. But then when you like bring it in for criticism, you might find that you kind of went the wrong way and it's maybe not the most interesting thing, but there is something good there and you have to tweak it. And especially for an audience, like to make it relatable. And it's something, it's, it was something I mentioned in the Think Bigger video. Like I need to think yeah. about the people who are consuming my work, whether that's physical or watching or, or whatever else, mm -hmm. uh, which I fail to do sometimes. And it makes it so my stuff isn't as good as it could be. So I sent that to the makers on zoom having coffee group and was like oh this is very inspirational and oh, wow. started a very controversial conversation where some people were kind of like well like is he saying i think some people were saying 
well, as an artist, you know, I would just want to create what I think is great mm-hmm. and not try to make it like be mass appeal. And I'll say, like, interesting. I, I don't feel like he's saying he needs mass appeal necessarily, but yeah, he just yeah. didn't think enough about how it comes across to an audience, which is so important in writing, especially like if your writing isn't relatable, like people can't, people will stop reading it. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. A book where you don't understand the character. No, and you need to have like, it's hard to have an objective quote unquote perspective as you're making these projects, but it's good important to have at least one foot out so you can see how someone will interpret it. And I think Jim Cummings was a very good example because him, for example, me following him, interacting interacting with him a bit on Twitter spaces and such, I've learned so much from his work, like, like really deeply inspirational because he's like the perfect example of an independent filmmaker who who's making films in a very different way. Like he's helping kind of create a whole ecosystem where it's feasible to create independent films on a persistent basis. Oh, wow. Consistent basis. And but like, and how he's using the tools and ecosystems of like content creation on YouTube and others and podcasting to create films I find is very fascinating. But also like just being so upfront with like, you know, things that don't turn out with failures. Because even for me, when I first started, like at university, I, I made like a few like short films and they didn't work. They were not good, <laughs> you yeah. know, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's, it's learning and you have to learn. Like not, it's not like you start doing and every single thing you touch is great. That's a very unhealthy mindset that will terribly backfire terribly. Yeah. Like you have to give yourself room to grow. And like, and I always felt bad when the first projects didn't work out because I started to wonder, well, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not good enough, but like, no, you can you just gotta go back to it and, you know, try something else in a different way. And that's just the way this, it's a craft. It's not mm-hmm. a talent, it's a craft. And you have to really, you know, really just try to get better at it in every sense that you can and try things. You don't know till you try. It's trial and error. And and it's interesting that you mentioned that specific tweet that you mentioned where, because I think there is a sense of like, okay, well, how will people, like, it's like you have to kind of balance with like what you want to express and also like how people interpret it a little bit like not like have too much of like outside influence because like it has to be your work you have to follow with what your heart and mind mm-hmm. is wants to express but i think it was a very very good example of that like how like and like he 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 took that failure and now he's at the top of the indie filmmaking pyramid so to speak so so yeah. it's, it's a very very inspirational story and how i think that as creators like just there's nothing wrong with like things that are not working out like i know i went through that and i that's also an idea that i wanted to touch upon is this idea of like like you always have to be really content with the work that you do and like i'm i'm a, a little bit of a perfectionist like no not too much but just a little bit because i want things to be as good as they can be and going from that like like for example if you're if you say if you put out like a work like a video or a piece of writing but you don't. But you don't feel totally content with the way it, with the way it is, and then you get criticism for it. That's gonna sting ten times more if rather than you creating something mm-hmm. that you feel very happy with, very proud of, very content with, you put it out there, and you may still get the exact same criticism or a different variation of it. But if you're happy with the work, it won't sting as much. And that's something I've learned recently: is that. You have to be really, really happy with what you put out there. Like not not be iffy on it or kinda kinda go, well, like it could have been better or should like, you know, like if you feel really, really happy with it, I think 
like <laughs> there's no criticism that will knock you down like it's obviously there are some good points like i take in criticism i read it i'm wondering okay how can i be better what could what are they saying maybe there's a nugget of truth in here that i can take with me going forward but mm. i think it's i think it's so important for any artist any creator any storyteller to feel really happy and proud with the work that they publish so even if it takes a little bit longer it'll be it'll be that you'll feel that much better about it once it's out there and you can always point to and say like look what i did i'm so proud of this yeah i think it's that's a can definitely be a tricky thing to do in like youtube and other internet platform content creation when you're trying to just like put out volume and Mm -hmm. i don't so I'm I'm also trying to develop a healthier relationship with constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. And it's it's convenient if people point out things that aren't so great in your video. And then right. you're like, okay, well now I'll do that for next time. If you have a healthy relationship with that. I like going back to what you're saying earlier, like when we had Sandra and Stacy from Tableau Creative on, and one of the things they said, which really stuck with me, like a year, year and a half later, was like, you know. I don't remember exactly how they said it, but it was something to the effect of there are no bad experiences. Like all experiences are valuable. Right, right. Which you might think is like an overly optimistic way of thinking of things because like, you know, sometimes things suck. But viewing experiences as valuable to some extent to the other, I, I think is a really great way of looking at it. Um, and I think I've I've definitely put out stuff in the past, which I was like, eh, maybe I didn't know it consciously in the moment but I wasn't super happy with it because I've also put out work that I'm like, that was great. I like the think bigger video. I was like, that is a, I'm really, really happy with that video. And if someone makes a criticism of it, I'm like, you don't get it. Like this isn't (laughs) for you. So I'm I'm sorry. Like, you know, can't works can't be for everyone. No, exactly. And like, they will like it or or they will not like it regardless of the quality of it. I mean, that's just something we have to accept. Right. And that's something I've learned to accept as well. So, but it's interesting. I think what, what I think what I'm kind of dancing around is I don't know if it's necessarily in what I do the worst thing to put out stuff I don't love because it's still a valuable experience of like seeing us a, a project through to the end putting it out and being like okay what have I learned here but I I totally hear what you're saying with the fact that when you put out something that you're really happy with like it's much stronger like it it builds you up a lot more than putting out taking baby steps by putting out series of crap <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, it just kind of builds up that resilience, right? And and also for like, like you kind of like you can almost like foresee the criticism, and you can almost kind of like dance your way around it, or kind of like, um, not make it critic proof. That's like the wrong word, but at least like you can just uh, you can you you be able to pursue the work and try and make it the best that you can be at without compromising what your vision for this project is, right? And then once you put it out there. I mean, sure. I mean, like sometimes there's some constructive criticism where it's like, okay, like I don't agree with that point, but I see what they're saying. But I mean, it's, it just depends. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but like, yeah, like it's not something that feels like a barrier to my creativity as it once did. That's one thing I'm really, really happy with. Cause I was, cause like sometimes you kind of get into theoretical kind of, it's like, you know, if you're like in a, like a football player playing at the like uh, other team stadium and like the fans get in your head sort of thing and you can't play well. And so like I've learned to just kind of like dismiss all that outright and mm-hmm. just I just feel more certain with what I do now. Nice. I mean, on the topic of putting yourself out there. So somehow 
I had never watched Casey Neistat videos before. Um, like I'd seen them. I knew he was a person. I knew he was very inspirational to a lot of people. I, you, I had seen him mentioned in your documentary, um, but I never actually watched any of his videos. And so, well, he was, he was like the foundation for the documentary, like that sort of vlogging sort true. of style. Like yeah. I remember like, like when I did my application to Ryerson, like I like had, was watching like his videos, um, Peter McKinnon's videos, like, you know, those guys who did that very cinematic, well-made, well-edited sort of vlogs, um, vlogs in that style. So yeah, like I was just thinking like, well, what makes this storytelling so unique? And there was something about that was so grounded, even though it was like well-made, well-produced, there was a very realistic grounded style to it and mm-hmm. the documentary the essence from it just came from there and then you know got to meet you and now we're on this wonderful journey and then you know a few of the others that participated in it and, and well, i kept I, on thinking sorry, sorry go you you go i want to hear your analysis okay <laughs> sorry i just want but like i kept on wondering like what is and some people ask me like what is it about like this topic about in, about interviewing youtubers finding out about their experiences why they create how they publish online and I couldn't really answer that at the time. I just thought there's something about this that's compelling me to explore the subject matter. And now, after everything that's happened, you know, doing this and all of the other create creativity projects I've done and just the mindset, how that's changed, I think it's that what um, drew me to do a subject matter, to do a documentary about YouTubers and content creators was really um, showing ad- admiration for people who took whatever it is that they had with little resources or money and being able to tell stories, to create videos, to express themselves in a manner that maybe I, I wasn't able to do yet or that I didn't feel comfortable doing. I think it all comes mm. back down to that. And that's why I've kind of like, kind of like been watching a lot of independent film and, you know, films that were made for either like $5 million, $500,000 or just $5,000, you know, I'm really finding myself really um, engaged in spider. Yeah. It's very like DIY at- DIY um, mindset. Exactly. It's the DIY nature of it. I think a lot of creativity, especially right now for me, and I think for you as well, is like it all comes down to just DIY and and just taking, and there's something just so honest and authentic and even just like vulnerable, like, you know, being able to take whatever it is that you have to create something. I think that's just so mesmerizing and inspiring. Well, and, and Casey and Van Neistat, like the Neistat brothers, really epitomize that DIY filmmaking style. Like, like yeah, like even long before YouTube, like they were doing this in the early 2000s. Yeah, like with well, another thing, like really putting themselves out there, like in that iPhone or iPod's dirty secret video they made, like spraying yes. <laughs> graffiti on all iPod ads, like straight up doing graffiti in the, in daylight and filming it and making everything themselves. Like I was thinking yesterday, like, I feel like the whole maker video genre on YouTube probably has some has them to thank to a certain extent. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but like they're making stuff in their videos and filming it, and they were doing that in like the early two thousands. Yeah, well, they definitely pioneered a. Um, I mean, they pioneered vlogging to. I mean, obviously, like there were out different elements of vlogging from everywhere, especially on the early internet creation, but. They really, I think, kind of popularized it, especially with their style. I mean, they had a show on HBO like around 2007 or 2008 where it was just them vlogging and it was just edited into video episode format, right? So uh, that's just, it's just really phenomenal seeing what, uh, how like, and like, and like there's so much of it like on YouTube. There's so much content that you see on YouTube now that's so clearly influenced by 
that style that he's done. And and I guess we're soon going to be discussing more about Van Neistat's videos. But seeing how different Casey Neistat's style is from Van Neistat's, just mm-hmm. like how they approach things differently. Because I remember when Casey, Casey kind of like made a vlog, just kind of like announcing his brother was having a channel. And like, yeah, I watched before, that yesterday. Yeah. Well, like, you know, how he mentions like, oh, my brother, he doesn't watch you. He doesn't watch YouTube. So that's one thing. He's doing all this from a, the very fresh sense without really, I mean, it's probably changed now. But the fact that he didn't watch YouTube for a long time and, and taking all of his skills and uh, vision and style and bringing that to his own channel, I find really, really fascinating because I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. Yeah. His videos like Van Neistat's videos have been a very cool inspiration this past week, especially as I've thought about like how I want to make videos in the future. I I feel like his, his style feels very like Wes Anderson-esque in a lot of ways, like very beautifully huh. produced, lots of satisfying shots and sounds, very like analog feeling, you know, he's well, using typewriters and, and yes, that sort of thing. The spirit of man and it comes out like a little typewriter. I love that. <laughs> And, and especially what you were saying earlier, like being a multidimensional creator, like he's very unafraid to show all the things that he loves and, and not fall into a specific genre, but really embrace all the aspects of his own creativity, whether that be like literature or art or mm-hmm. tools or whatever else. And it makes it, it's, it's still very relatable. It is. And so fascinating to see his, his videos in particular, how, he blends like documentary storytelling with like m- a lot of maker elements. Like, I don't know if he calls himself a maker, but like it's very apparent. There's a lot of maker, um, a lot of maker, um, like scenes and moments, him building things like he's very DIY himself. So mm-hmm. seeing all that come together, is just, it's really, really fascinating. And like you mentioned, like this, the whole um, series, the spirited man and all the topics that he examines and where he's so honest and such, I find, I find it very, very, uh, fascinating and just just very entertaining to watch as well yeah it's it's made me reflect as well on like another kind of mantra i've been thinking to myself as making videos is like don't use two shots when one shot will do and it's Mm. not really about the jump cut or like trying to make things feel longer it's just that i've i've really noticed when i edit videos that like if i try to splice two things together most of the time, if I have one shot that does the same thing, it just, it feels better. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with Van's videos, a lot of times he doesn't film a lot for a video, which may span a very large project. Like that one where he typed out an entire book and it's a two minute video. And it's something I've thought about more as like, I've thought about filmmaking is like, as I want to do bigger and bigger projects, I feel like I also want to make shorter and shorter videos. Like it's not about showing the full process as much as it is like telling a compelling story, um, and, and you know taking good shots and good filmmaking and taking the time to plan it out so it's it, it yeah fits the vision. Well, it's it's like it's like do you always have to show every single step of um, the process? I guess mm-hmm. if it's for like a maker video where you want to like walk through people how you make something, but. If you're doing something like with this more story based or even just more experimental or just more of a atmospheric sort of um, sort of video, I guess like you can skip over those moments and kind of like kind of like leave the viewer hanging a bit because it's more about what you're creating and like how you're going to use it. I don't know. There's all different types of possibilities with that. But 
like even for me just like exploring just all different types of work whether it's like 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 van neistat's work or independent filmmakers like jim cummings and others and just like just seeing like a wide variety of perspectives i find has been really um enlightening especially just the way i approach things and that's why i'm really excited to get back to the sea because i have so many like short films i want to do with like the mo like the moment i get back like I'm, i'm ready to go with them so nice do you just, have a um approximate eta when you think you're gonna move back to toronto it's uh summer this year summer nice so i don't i, I can't put a month on it yet like a lot of it depends on like how the pandemic goes but i'm assuming like this is like once this wave is really kind of like over uh like which it already looks like it's on the downswing here's hoping i don't want to yeah. sound like an idiot once this episode comes out but <laughs> uh but yeah it's this year it's this year like it's time and uh like like a lot of things are going really well for me, like not just creatively, but in other, in other ways. So I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get back. And I think a lot of it's like, just even if you take out the creativity, just from a personal perspective, I feel, um, despite all the chaos in the world, I feel very, very, um, just very sure of myself in a way that I haven't for a long time. And that's a good thing. So especially that's if you awesome. want to pursue creative projects, right. But yeah, like I want to get back. There are so many things that I want to do that I know that I can do. Some things where it's like, why didn't I ever think of that before? Like, it's just funny stuff like that. Like, for example, I was supposed to do like, um, I was going to do like a little short talk with my, one of my friends here in town, but like eventually Omicron hit. And after chatting a few times, like it was, well, you start to wonder, well, like the story, there's, I have a vision of how I want to pr- present this in my head, but it may not match up with the story in reality. So you might think, okay, well, it's another indie project that's probably not going to happen. But over the course of the holidays, because I started writing poetry and I posted a poem in early January called November Beach. And I remember over the holidays, I had an idea. It's like, wait, um, I learned that like um, uh, about like poetry books that have um, illustrations done by other people. It's like a collaboration. Right. So so I so I phoned up my friend. I said, hey, listen, I'm doing this. Would you like to do this project? Whereas like you take my poetry and you can do your own digital illustrations on it and we could do it like in a little digital book or publication. And that way I can oh, bring cool. like some of my graphic design elements that I like to do. So I thought not something I ever thought I would do, but it just it just happened in that moment. I was like, oh, this could be really fun. And sometimes you just have to go with it like that. Yeah. That's another theme, you know, I've been thinking about for this year and going forwards in general is like, I think a flaw of mine is that I try to do a lot of things on my own and by myself, which is kind of the tradition in the DIY filmmaking or DIY maker videos, you know, thing. It's like a person Mm -hmm. filming by themselves, but I think it loses a lot of possible growth and opportunities by not trying to do stuff with other people or at least like seeking those things out. Mm, Um, Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was thinking about it, like talking with, when we were talking with my cousin, Charlie, like how adamant he has, he was about like in the music production process. He's like, like, no, I definitely want to record with other people. Like, I don't want to just do everything by myself. <laughs> well, if, I mean, I mean, but like so much greatness comes from collaborations. Like you did a great one with um, Danocracy, right? So, I mean, like, you know, that's like, I guess I was like, kind of like one of the first steps in pursuing that. But like, for me, like, it's all about collaboration. Like I need people to kind of like bring these stories I want to life, but I also want their input. Like I want to see like what they can bring to it. And maybe if they can like, you know, bring something to it in a way that I'd never saw before, it's like, well, why not go with that? Maybe they could 
have a different style for it. Like I'm, like I said, it's like not being too precious with it, but just doing, just having fun with it. So that's why, like, once I'm back, like I'm gonna reach out to uh, my good friends and such, and you as well, and just say like, hey, let's let's have some fun. Let's let's make some fun projects together. Oh, I'm super down. I would love to. Because like I've learned, like I understand like what I want to do with like filmmaking now going forward. Because I always wonder, it's like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do with this? Am I just gonna make it and maybe send it to a few film festivals but that can be really pricey you know submitting to those film festivals so i think like i'll just like once i make some films unless they're really really good like i'll just like i think i'll put them online so like for everyone to see and just kind of like promote them that way because even like i figure out figure out like how to like what i want to do for portfolio websites and i was doing some ui ux sort of like you know handmade drawings and designs uh for what what i want to do once i have some work done so oh nice so yeah just it's a lot of fun stuff like that um have you thought about doing like a kickstarter for like a short film um i don't know kickstarter so is that kind of like gofundme yeah like crowdfunding yeah crowdfunding um it's interesting jim cummings does something different called crowd equity now mind you they're making like feature films that's a little different but Whereas in like people, it's like, it's, it's similar in the sense people fund it, but like they're basically a, officially credited as like a financier or as a executive producer type. Right. So, wow. so I don't know. I don't know if I can do, I don't think I'll be able to do crowd crowdfunding right away out of the gate, but for a lot of the, in the no budget projects that I think I know I can, that I know I can do. Like, I think I just want to start just by doing that, doing little short documentaries and such about interesting people such as yourself, <laughs> like, um, like just starting out like that. And then maybe eventually getting to a point where, well, maybe if there's a bit of an audience that we'll like to see more having collaborators where we can like, you know, pull some resources and set up a big project like that. And I think maybe down the line that would be possible, but that's, that's crossed my mind a few times for sure. Mm-hmm. But right now I just want to have fun with it. I just want to have fun with it and try things and collaborate and just really enjoy the process. And, putting work out there and seeing what people say and have people enjoy it. That's, that's really at the heart of it right now. Yeah. I I'm wonder if other people are feeling this way, but I feel like at this point in the pandemic, like, you know, I'm really missing like being around other young, creative, optimistic, positive, fun people. And I feel like there's a, there could be this huge, just like explosion of collaboration and everything that comes out once COVID is kind of weaned down a little bit mm-hmm. and everyone just wants to do a ton of stuff. So I, I want, I don't know if that's summer 2022 or 2023, I feel like it could be a very exciting time, not just with us, but with everyone. Yeah. Well, like maybe we'll have like a whole roaring twenties, hopefully once all this is over or is like, who is it? I think it was Jim Cummings who mentioned this like not long ago. It's like, well, after like the plagues in Europe, we had like the Renaissance, right? So, so oh, interesting. So like maybe we'll have a little Renaissance. I think, I think, I think it's about damn time we have one. So, yeah. so, but I'm, I'm hoping that will be the case as well. So, but like, yeah, it feels like, like it's kind of like embracing like yeah, like yeah the world's in a very chaotic place right now it's hard to see where things are going but i think at least hearing from you as well just having that sense of like what we, we know what we want to do and we'll see where it leads is i think a really important step in having that creative mindset for wherever it is it's going to take you so or take us i should say so mm-hmm. or for anyone i should say what am i saying <laughs> but really but really about um yeah no it's i mean i think even even just like, I just want to be back in Toronto and just, you know, kind of just like 
getting started and all and all these projects that I really want to do. And that's and that's what I'm doing with the writing right now because it's what I have control of. So that's what I'll do for now. Right. And if that will lead to something else, you know, or even just like just doing YouTube, like I mentioned, maybe doing a side project with that. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, and that's awesome that you can feel like you're feel fulfilled in in uh, expressing yourself creatively through the writing. Because I think I think a lot of people like we spend so much time like trying to figure out how to express ourselves. I feel like that's been what a lot of this journey has been for me is like how 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 do I get these things out? Like these ideas I have. Like I remember I when you were talking about like get, having film ideas and not knowing how to make them happen and it being frustrating. I mm-hmm. thought about when I was like 12 or 13 years old and I would mow lawns. Like I would mow my parents' lawn. I'd mow neighbor's lawns for like 20 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. And I would listen to my iPod on shuffle and certain songs would come on. And I would start like thinking of this whole like choreographed movie scene and how this certain song would look so cool to a certain movie scene. And mm. I mean, I had a very active imagination at that age. So that in and of itself was so fun, but like, I, I had no way to know how to make that happen. And then, and then I started like making some little videos at 13, but it, none of it was really like right. You know, it was all just kind of like exploring and, and trying to yeah. make videos like I saw on YouTube. But um, I feel like that's kind of like, to me, when I think back to my like creative journey, like that was a very clear sign early on. It's like, like I had this like I remember um, Love on Top by Beyonce, which is this very like bubbly, poppy song. And I thought <laughs> right, that that right. song would be so cool going along like the intro of a zombie apocalypse movie because it would be this oh. hilarious <laughs> juxtaposition. And like every time the beat drops, it's like a zombie's head blowing off. And I was like, oh, this would just be like such a great scene. Um, yeah, I could see it. <laughs> which is something I, I'm still – is like a super huge part of my creative process is just like hearing a song and thinking about like, Oh, like I want to make a music video that feels this way to that song or like Mm -hmm. maybe not a music video, but just make a video that has that song in it because it makes me feel that way. And I want to convey that visually. Yeah. I mean, so much of like creativity just comes from like remix want a desire to remix or to combine elements that we think might be cool. I mean, there's a whole like subculture on YouTube where they just take things and they remix it and they add music or, things that are out of place, they completely recontextualize the original work. And I think it's really fun to see that. But yeah, uh, yeah I think it just comes down to just, um, I think a lot of creativity kind of starts out with like a desire to like imitate and to remix and to try different things. And then mm-hmm. from that, it just leads down this path of like originality because it's almost hard to copy something like verbatim unless you're really going out to plagiarize something. But I think a mm-hmm. lot of it just kind of begins on that route. And there's a really good episode with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the filmmaker Ryan Johnson about that, where when when you start out creating and begins in the imitations and how that evolves into original works, because like um, Ryan Johnson is a really big fan. Like he did directed the film Knives Out and uh, okay. his, his, his first uh, feature film Brick is a, one of my favorite neo-noir films ever. And they, a lot of it talks about like where Ryan describes like his love for like these um, mystery classic, you know, uh, detective noir novels and how he took all that and channeled that into a lot of the works that he does now. So I thought that was really interesting um, hearing that process of how he took how he took things I really loved and all of the established codes and conventions and how he kind of made his own unique twist on them based on his own personal life and experiences and interests. And 
Mm-hmm. I think that's really fun to hear that from that sort of perspective. Because sometimes you might do something and you might, well, maybe it's like too similar to this thing or to that thing. But it's funny, like the more inspirations you have, the more you can draw upon to make your work feel more original I'll, in, in combination with all of the um, perspective and experiences of your own life. Yeah, that was another thing I, I talked about in the video, which was like not being embarrassed about my sources of inspiration. I mm. think sometimes I don't give them their full credit and I'm like, no, like I want to do my own thing. I don't want to think about this random thing from my childhood. And I, I think about like some of my favorite hip hop groups and how they are so amazing at like really giving credit to their inspirations. Like Flappish Zombies is like my favorite hip hop group. They're always talking about like pro wrestling and, <laughs> right. and like these old shows that sound kind of so goofy out of context, but it's so genuine because it's like this, these are the things that made them who they are. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really been the fodder for all of their work. And I need to like give credit to those things that made me and, and actually kind of talk about them and reflect on them and bring them into my work and not, you know, feel uncomfortable that they are the things that inspire me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, like if it's your interest and like a, a key inspiration yeah, never ever feel bad about that. I've never, have I ever, I don't know if I ever felt well, maybe about like s- some things or maybe feeling like maybe it's too close to something that I want to do, but eventually like the more you work on it, the more it morphs into its own identity. So mm-hmm. I think it just depends on that. And just, I, f- I remember what I was going to say just before, but it's like about, about when you put work out there. Like when I put out that little poem that I did at the beginning of January, that was read by hundreds of people <laughs> almost to the point it was overwhelming. I thought like, like, cause you put it out there, you yeah, think it's just some weird. little thing. I was like, you know, it was like getting a lot of like, you know like seeing a lot of like just looking at the stats i was like oh wow like just from within the platform itself i was just like oh okay interesting you know it's not something you never expect but the channel just blows up like your, your recent video on um on the the coat the coat hanger that you yeah. made with like the 3d printed hooks and like you know like, like that exploder right like what does that feel yeah. like when you get all those hits oh, i can tell you what it feels like you know that meme where it's the uh it's like the <laughs> i'm in danger that one <laughs> that's how it feels sometimes especially when it's because that particular situation was fueled by reddit and okay there can okay. be a lot of negativity that comes when that happens just people tend to just pick things apart and wait like focus on aspects of the project that doesn't really matter in my view i know and it's 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 a it's a fickle platform man yeah, with people yeah, on it, it yeah <laughs> when when a spotlight gets shown on something that you don't expect to have a spotlight shown on it it can feel a little like oh my god okay i i wasn't expecting to have to defend my work and I, I try not to i try to just like you know just look at it and try to let it wash over me and take the constructive criticism but yeah sometimes it's like uh-oh all these people are here it's yeah it's like i'm thinking like uh, that meme with like the dog where he's like this is fine but there's all this fire around exactly me. yeah <laughs> okay that's that's interesting i've never had something go off like on a, on a social media platform like that yet but i just know that with a medium like i see like people reading within it's like oh wow people are, are finding it i mean it's kind of nice to see that you post something small and like like the algorithm just makes it discoverable for a lot of people but but that, that's really cool and i think like one just to kind of like segue from that it's like like the importance of connecting with others for inspiration and collaborations just having a community aspect where you can share your work with other like-minded people who are creating similar work i think has been so significant yeah. and so important because i noticed that with you and the, like when i first started like i didn't really know what to do i felt like very very kind of like alone with what I want to do. I mean, yes, there were some other people making films, obviously, but I didn't 
there was no one like close or someone that I knew who was really actively pursuing that. Right. And once I start with the writing, that's something I noticed with you in the maker community. Like I just, I just found that. I mean, we've interviewed a lot of makers on this show, right? And mm-hmm. seeing that su- that group and the support that you'll give for each other, even like in comments and in messages, like that's really so encouraging to see. And with the writing, like I've discovered a little bit more of that. Like just like a few days ago, like I connected with like fifty new people over Twitter, <laughs> where I was like, I'm like, hey, I just started publishing some work and like just replying to tweets and that and seeing the the growth from that and connecting with people is like oh wow and like people message you they like your work and i messaged a few people about some of the essays and such and short stories that they wrote and i think that's really fun i think going back to um just enough there's point about how like you know the internet gets like a bad rap because there's so much toxicity on it and there is but there is still so much opportunity for genuine connection with people who are creating in the same space that you are like i didn't know there's a whole um the whole uh, space of, of writers on Twitter. So it's, that's really awesome to see and yeah, connect with. It's exciting when you realize that like these people are there and you can really reach out to them at any, any time. It's uh it's an exciting feeling. It's pretty cool. People. And there's one that expressed interest in maybe being a potential guest that I'll chat about with you afterward, but nice. I think there's a lot of cool potential there. Yeah. Sweet. All right. With that, I think we should talk about what we're putting in the spotlight this week. Oh my gosh, this has been 56 minutes already. Look at where does the time go? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, do you want to go first or should I go first? Yeah, I will kick it off. Um, I am listening to a book that was recommended to me by Andy Pugh, another previous guest on the show. And mm-hmm. it is Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed. Um, so oh, this book is cool. all about failure and learning from failure. Uh, the title of the book comes from the black box on commercial airplanes, which is essentially a device that records all of the audio in the cockpit, as well as the state of all the instruments at all times. So if a plane ever goes down, they analyze this box to find out why it went down. And the result of that is that the commercial airline industry has an incredibly low rate of crashes and failures. So they're a great example of learning from failure. And Mm -hmm. the author is really good at contrasting that with other industries and cultures who are terrible (laughs) from learning from failure. One of them is the medical industry, which has very high rates of preventable accidents. It's gotten better in recent years. Like there's been some uh, very outspoken people who have tried to improve preventable medical errors and things like surgeries and prescription drugs and things. Um, But he, he is really good at talking about all these different ways that we can learn from failure and people who do it really well. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of aspects of society where we're very uncomfortable at failure and quick to point and blame people and not really learn from it or ignore it, which is the most Mm -hmm. common thing and just push it under the rug and not even recognize it as a failure. So as I'm trying to take constructive criticism better and like, and really like get better, uh, one of the best ways to do that is just looking at things that have failed and and trying to figure out why and moving forward from that. So it's a really cool book. Um, I find that it starts a little slow, but it picks up a lot when he's, I, the thing that I find most interesting about it is he starts talking about like inventors and designers like James Dyson and um, Mm. Pixar. There's some really interesting examples about the culture at Pixar and how they learn from failure. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I will link that in the show notes. It's, it's a really cool book. That's amazing. It's funny you mentioned Pixar. Do you ever hear the story of how um, 
they almost accidentally deleted Toy Story 2 from their computers. No, I haven't heard that. There's, so it's a funny story. So they're making um, Toy Story 2. Obviously, it's like these are like very early CG animated movies. Like this is like 2000 or so, 1999, sometime around then. And they're making the movie, and somehow there's some sort of something happens with their computers, or there's an the IT updated them, and somehow it wiped all of their servers of the movie. Oh my! So God. they lost it completely, and the only re- and someone there's only one person who took it home and backed it up on their own personal computer. Back then, that's how like they were able to save the movie because one person went home with it and copied it to their own hard drive. So, oh wow. Can you imagine the the fear and the millions of dollars that? So that's that's a that's a funny example, but yeah, that's that's awesome. I have to check that out. Yeah, um, well, that's one one big goal of mine this year is to read more books. So I'll add that to the list. Sweet. So were you gonna ask what are? I was just gonna add an interesting story they had about Pixar was about Finding Nemo, and mm-hmm. basically the the story entirely changed, and it, it was making me think about our conversation about relatability in art. And it sounded mm-hmm. like the original story of Finding Nemo was not very relatable, but they changed it so it was a lot more relatable. And that was one of the reasons it's become like one of the highest grossing animated films of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it's still very iconic, even despite like, you know, it's come out like nearly 20 years ago now. So, huh. yeah. Amazing. So, for my Into the Spotlight, and I've talked about like a little bit in this episode, but just l- taking the time to learn to enhance your creative perspective of like how you want to achieve things. And this person is a very big part of that. So this is Greg Kotze. I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. I apologize if I'm not. He's a South African cinematographer for narrative films, documentaries. But I'm highlighting him because of his YouTube channel called In-Depth Cine. So this is a YouTube channel that I've found to be very, very helpful and educational for my own creative process when it comes to planning films, understanding how to really um, uh, present them visually, how I want to make them. And he has made uh, films at like almost every different type of like uh, industry level, budget level. And he really just breaks down like uh, videos that provide an an in-depth study and knowledge of cinematography and filmmaking that balances creative thought and creative vision with technical knowledge. So he doesn't go too far into the weeds with all the technical bits and pieces of like um, cinematography and color and color grading and so on and so forth. Here he's able to explain like how films are made at various different levels, whether they're no budget, um, independent budget, studio budget, and really break down the style of how all these films are made and how their visual style adds to the narrative. Um, this is a really wonderful channel. Um, one of his videos that I love a lot is how to shoot a film at three different budget levels. So it talks about how he directed one of his first feature, no budget films, then then to like an indie budget and then to a feature film budget. So the way he's able to break all this down and explain all the tools of like why lighting is important, how lighting was used in specific films and how it was different from one to the next. And I think, and this is not a YouTube channel where it's just made for filmmakers, like whether you're a filmmaker or a content creator or you just want to see how your favorite visual stories were told, it's a wonderful place to, to just watch movies and just learn how all these stories from very different types of visionary filmmakers um, were created. Like one, He did a video recently about why high, res, high, high resolution isn't always a good thing. Hmm. And like how we always have this obsession is like, well, we need the, the latest camera that's like bigger and better. And like we can see every pore, pore on their face, but that's <laughs> not necessarily a good thing. 
for yeah, example. Yeah, I thought about that with Van. Sorry, just to interrupt quickly. I thought about that with Van Neistat's videos, mm-hmm. where he uses digital zoom in a way that works really well. And I've always yeah. looked down on digital zoom, but like, oh, like the graininess kind of works here. Well, it's an effective technique, exactly. And the graininess is a good thing because that, you know, it's really at the heart of like cinematic storytelling. So high resolution is really for like sports games where you zoom in on the player and there's like sweat dripping down for their face, but you don't need that for your own like creative videos. Right. Um, and so like, for example, you use a good example of like how like having the green and having some of that sort of like how how even just like a lower resolution can add to a sort of subjective feel and look and style to your videos or films or, or things that you do. So. Yeah, like there's like he's able to touch on topics like that, and I think it's re- very educational. It's been a very big help for me with the way like I visualize and storyboards some ideas and short film ideas. So, oh cool, and like I think I'm gonna he's gonna be a resource I'm gonna be using for for a long time, maybe forever. We'll see, but but yeah, check out his YouTube channel called In Depth Cine and maybe some of his works if you can, because he's a very knowledgeable person who who really breaks down the visual. Um, visual process of storytelling in a really fun manner that's awesome that's really interesting his um home page is beautiful like all just the still frames from all of his different movies yeah isn't like uh all the thumbnails right they just have a very i mean this is a person who understands lighting and color and imagery like like no one else right so yeah for sure all right man well this was great um thank you so much for coming up with this topic i have a lot of food for thought well, thank you for creating the video that helped me create some of the topics for this video. I mean, you touched on some of them already. We're just exploring them further, but this is a good video to start the, the good video. Listen to me. All right, going too far ahead. This is a good, <laughs> a good episode to start the year and looking forward to many more. Me too. All right, man. Well, take care and have a good night. Take care, man. Talk to you in the next one. All right, bye. Bye.